0: Well, sometimes there are some really, really important themes of the Bible that don't always have our attention. We can read the Bible. I had this experience this week in reading God's word, but also just wondering how certain parts of it are particularly relevant uh, in specific aspects of my life. There's some things that like take a little bit more time, a little bit more attention. You have to dial in your focus a little bit more. And then when you do it actually pays a lot of dividends. And so kind of with that in mind, we've been going through over the last several weeks, uh, portions of Hebrews, and we called this series So Much Better. And so the idea is that Jesus is so much better. And then we're going through a portion of Hebrews really in chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, where there are going to be some themes that maybe as you first read these chapters, as we first encounter them, sometimes we might be really led to wonder, is there some specific application to my life? And so what I want us to do is really kind of dig in those because uh, the passage that we're reading in Hebrews 7, you read it the first time and you're probably left with a truckload of questions and maybe wondering where all the connections are to really appreciate how it applies to your life. And so I want you to see those connections today. I want you to experience what God has to say about where you're living. And so we're going to approach things a little bit differently today in that we will get to Hebrews 7. We're going to read portions of that, but I I actually want to prepare us to make sure we can appreciate what we hear when we go to God's word there. And I think maybe the best part, best way to start is Jesus, we're we're going to see that Jesus is a priest in this passage, but I I think, again, to make sure we appreciate all that God has for us today, I think we need to actually ask a question that will set the table for us being able to appreciate Jesus being our priest. And the first question I want us to ask is, am I convinced that I need a priest? I want you to think about that, and I, I want you to reflect on that. Am I convinced, in the first place here, We can talk about Jesus being a priest and we will, but am I convinced that I need a priest? Because based on all the religious literature that we have from the time that Hebrews was written, that would have been a a regular assumption in the time that Hebrews was written. If you were religious, if you followed even the way of uh, Judaism, the way of Israel, you would understand you need a priest, but I'm not so sure we make those connections today. I'm not so sure we're exactly in that same place. Am I convinced that I need a priest? And maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves because probably it's helpful to even think through what exactly does a priest do? What exactly does a priest do when you think through priests and who they are and what they do? Kind of, kind of a, a basic description is they, they are someone who, someone appointed and commissioned or ordained by God. And the idea is that they function as a go-between, a go-between a sinful humans and a holy God. They're a go-between. So when we talk about priests, there's kind of a recognition even in that, that there would be a gap. There would be a gap because God is holy and because we're sinful and a priest kind of stands in the middle, kind of covers that distance, covers that gap. A priest is a go-between, and it really functions in two directions. A priest, in many ways, brings God to people and also brings people to God. That's what they're meant to do. This would involve, like, how, how do they do that? Well, this would involve, like, some sacred, sacred rituals on sacred days, some days that are set apart and very holy, And often it would involve very sacred spaces and sacred places. And it would even involve like sacred rituals and instruments and utensils that would be used to to make an offering or sacrifice to bring people to a place where their lives, their worship, all of that was acceptable to God. Am I convinced that I need a priest? And maybe that's something... Like so far from your mind, maybe you didn't grow up in a religious tradition where that was even, even a thought. And maybe even if you did, it's so far in your mind, like maybe not one time in the past month did you think, I need to talk to my priest about that. Or I just need to talk to a priest about that. Am I convinced that I need that go-between? And maybe, let me just be frank, maybe you think, I'm not sure that I really need a priest. I mean, you're talking about a go-between in between God and I, but I'm not sure that I see the gap. I'm not sure that I feel the gap or feel the distance. And if you don't, that surely would play a role in whether you would ever think you need a priest to be okay with God. And I can respect that. I'd actually like the challenge if you think like I'm not sure a priest would ever be needed in my encounter or my walk with God. I want to challenge that, but I also recognize if you just take in all the messages we get on a pretty regular basis, whether it's even children's cartoons or commercials, I mean, everything would seem to push like, you know, you don't need anything more than yourself. You don't need anything. All you need to be is a full version of yourself. And And maybe others place limits and others kind of drag you down and others get you down, but actually what you need is the best positive self-image you ever had. And if you have that, like who would need a priest? You just kind of talk yourself, you work yourself, you make sure you know, like God and I, I think we're good. I think we're okay. So maybe you would need a life coach, but not really a priest. You need someone to remind you of how good you are Once you get that reminder, you go, God and I, I think we're all set. I wonder if there may be another reason why you would wonder if you really need a priest as if there's some gap or distance between you and God. I wonder if there's another mindset. And maybe that's not that you feel like you're so good, you don't need one. But maybe it's a recognition that, yeah, you have messed up. But maybe you have such a high degree of responsibility a high degree of personal responsibility in which you say, yeah, I have messed up, but I'm going to get myself back to a better place. I'm not, I'm not going to count on anybody else to do this. I'm going to, I, I'm going to follow some rules for life, and I'm going to do those one step at a time. And I'm going to get after it, and I'm going to get, my place to where, get myself to a place where God and I are Okay but I don't really need a priest, I just need to behave. Are you convinced you need a priest? Are you convinced that someone's gotta do something or say something to bring you to God, to give you that kind of access? Again, I I wanna make sure we're drilling in there just a little bit, because if you don't think there's a gap between you and God, I, I I can't imagine why you would ever think you need a priest. But maybe, just maybe, there is something that you brought into this place today where you know there's a certain part of what you've done, who you are, that totally creates distance between you and God. You, you know he's not okay with it. Maybe some part of you feels guilty. Maybe something in you feels a little lost and you don't know how to make it right between you and God. Maybe, just maybe, someone has done something to you. Maybe it's not even something you did. But someone has done something to you that has caused guilt and shame, and you really shouldn't feel that. But you haven't been able to, like, get yourself to a place where you, where you don't feel that. And maybe there are some areas, and I'm, I'm not talking about the minor ones, kind of like in the no one's perfect world, but I'm talking about the major ones where you feel like, yeah, I am, I am not perfect. I, I am not meeting standards. And maybe those standards are like you saying, I just think people ought to, or I just think it'd be a better world. I just think people should. And, and you realize as many times as you say those, you don't even keep those standards. What do you do about that, even if you're judged by the standards that you just think ought to be kept? Or maybe you get this sense where, I'm sure we all do on a regular basis, where I'm just just not in control. And I actually need God to work. And if he doesn't, I don't know what I'll do. But in and of myself, I don't have enough. Or maybe you feel so crushed and beat down by life, that there actually, there actually does feel like a gap and a distance between you and God, and you don't know what to do with it because he seems very, very far away and not that close to you at all. Maybe you know, maybe you want to become this certain person, and you have an idea of like, if I could become the person I want to be, it would be like this, but you know yourself too well that there's, there's too many things working against that, so you're going to need the power of almighty God to come in you to make you become something that you know right now you're not. Or maybe just you realize you're going to meet God one day. And because God is the creator of everything that is and because he rules over everything we can see and things we can't see, maybe it struck you that you're not going to meet that God on your terms. And I'm not going to meet him on my terms. Will only meet him on his terms. And maybe that's a tad unsettling, to say the least. I just wonder what all that does to our hearts. So, I mean, maybe we feel like I don't need, I can't imagine one reason why I would need a priest to actually be a go between between a perfect holy God and myself. But I actually find reason after reason, I, I shared some of them, but I could share more and more reason after reason why. I recognize there's way too much distance that I'm not going to close that gap and because of that I need a priest. And the rest of Hebrews is actually going to begin to unpack how that distance is closed, how that gap is closed. It's going to talk about old covenants and new covenants. The rest of Hebrews is going to talk about an old tabernacle and a tabernacle in in the heavenlies. But it will dial in right here and start with a priest, a priest. At the center of it all, all the sacrifices of bulls and goats and this perfect sacrifice of mercy and salvation, it's going to center on a priest. Am I convinced that I need a priest? And then I want to go one one question further than that. And that is, am I convinced that Jesus is the priest I need? Am I convinced that Jesus is the priest I need? Am I convinced that Jesus, God the Son, who came in human flesh, who lived and died and rose again and ascended to the Father is the priest that I need? Am I convinced that Jesus can bring me to God? And again, I do want to respect it. You may, you may answer this question like, I'm not sure. Or I'm not, I, I have a lot of respect for Jesus. I have a lot of respect for what he's done. I've heard about Jesus. Maybe you would even say that Jesus has been a meaningful part of your entire life. But I want to press one, one step further than just Jesus being a meaningful part of your life. Do you recognize that Jesus is just much more than a meaningful part of your life, but he is the priest that you need? I wonder, this is, seems like one of the most important questions you could ask. Am I okay with him Because if you don't think Jesus is the priest you need, and you still recognize there may be a gap between you and God, then you're going to go look elsewhere. And I think that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews was wanting to point us to in Hebrews 7. If we're not looking to Jesus to be our one and only priest, then we might go looking elsewhere. It's interesting as Hebrews, as you read it, and again, we're in chapter 7, so we've been at this several weeks. Hebrews maybe as much, if not more, than any other book in the New Testament. Hebrews kind of assumes you know a good bit about the Old Testament. So Old Testament, that first two-thirds of your Bible. I mean, Hebrews assumes that you're going to be able to kind of reference that. And we all know reference books like dictionaries and back in the day encyclopedias where you would go and you would get that material that you would reference to know, okay, this is what that means, and now I bring that into my situation. Well, Hebrews assumes you're going to have a good frame of reference in a lot of Old Testament. Even Hebrews 7, I was thinking through all the different things that names it brings up and places in Scripture it brings up. A lot of references of the Old Testament. So if I, if I read in like we have Abraham, Melchizedek, Levi, Judah, Aaron, Moses, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Psalms. All of that's referenced in Hebrews 7. So there there is a lot of information, so much coming at us. And my goal is not like just in five minutes to explain like the whole Testament. I mean, you just can't master all of that kind of reference material. But I, I do think we've got to take a couple minutes. If we're going to ask the question, is Jesus the priest I need? I think we want to hear from Hebrews and go, this is exactly why he is the priest that we need. So if, if you'll bear with me, because this is where Hebrews 7 goes, it kind of takes for granted that we understand that there is this specific family of priests in the Old Testament. So some of you are familiar with this story. Remember when God's people came out of Egypt, when they made the exodus out of Egypt. Remember they're at Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. Or the instruction, God's going to tell them how to live, how to live in such a way where they could live to the fullest, how they would be blessed, how they would, be, how they would live lives that honoring to God. So that, that is uh, coming out of Egypt. That is what is given to them. And the only issue with that, like instruction, here's the law, here's what you ought to do, here's how you ought to behave. The only problem with that is God knew even from the beginning, people aren't going to do that. You wouldn't, I wouldn't, they didn't. They don't follow God's law, and so there's a separation. Instead of people being blessed by God, they actually would warrant being under God's wrath, under his judgment, not his blessing. So there had to be some arrangement, again, to close that distance. As you read the first part of the Bible, and Hebrews 7 actually talks about this. There's this moment, that pivotal moment, where God gives his law, but then he also gives a family, and it's the family of Levi, even more specifically, it's the family of Aaron, a descendant of Levi. And he says, this family is going to be your priests. It's recognized in Hebrews 7, verse 5, or 16, verse 28. A family, the family of Aaron, is chosen, and men born into that family would be priests. They would, they would play a role of closing that gap, of bringing people. They would offer the sacrifices. They would go into the tabernacle. This is what God set up, but Hebrews is going to do a really, really solid job of reminding us that as much as God ordained that, it wasn't going to last forever. There's some serious limits to, again, are you following? We have this family that was designated to be priests, this family of Aaron, the sons of Aaron are going to be priests, but but there's a recognition that's not going to last forever because there are some serious limits. One of those main limits, according to verse 27 of this chapter, is that anytime a priest would go to offer sacrifices for all the people, he would first have to offer a sacrifice for himself because he was guilty of sin. So there, are, there were no perfect sons of Aaron to be priests, so they would have to offer sacrifices on their own. A serious limit. And another limit is, okay, so you got a priest, you got a son of Aaron, but then he dies then we've got to find another one, and then he dies, and then we've got to find another one. And there's, there's this sense pretty regularly that there would never be like that permanent priest. It would always be in flux because sons of Aaron would die, and another would have to get appointed. And the limits become more and more exposed. And here's the bottom line that Scripture points us to, even all the Old Testament points us to is those priests that God ordained that served a purpose but it had an expiration date. There have come a time where actually the words in Hebrews 7 are words like weakness and even it's useless. This whole priesthood, this whole idea of priesthood is useless at thinking it would bring us to completion or perfection. It just won't do that. It wasn't meant to do that. It was pointing but it wasn't meant to bring everything to completion. You read that in verse 11, verse 18, verse 19, verse 28. Again, we'll go over some of these verses in a second. So you have a a priesthood that God intentionally gives to the people of Israel, but it has an expiration date. So you can't really trust that priesthood necessarily for eternity. You're not trusting that. You've got to have something else. So where else could you turn? Is there another priesthood in the Bible that's not of the family of Aaron? But is there another priesthood to look to? And this is where Hebrews begins to actually kind of shift the spotlight from here is Moses and Aaron and Levi and all of those, that priesthood. And now let's shift the spotlight onto another character in the Bible. A character that's going to give us, Hebrews is going to use words like copies and shadows and previews and analogies. Shift the spotlight onto another one. And it's actually kind of a, it feels pretty random. In Genesis 14, there's a man named Melchizedek. And Hebrews refers to him again and again. So here's this character, and it says in verse 1 of Hebrews 7. So again, we're, we're going to now kind of, I feel like we prepared to appreciate, am I convinced that I need a priest? And what about Jesus being the priest? Now let's hear from Hebrews 7 of exactly what God was doing in answering those questions for, for this Melchizedek. This king of Salem, he was a priest, a priest to the Most High God. And he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And to him, Abraham, to Melchizedek, Abraham gave a tithe, the tenth part of everything. So Melchizedek is, if you just translate it Melchizedek, you'll get king of righteousness. But if you look at the kingdom, he's the king of Salem, so he's king of peace, which Salem means peace. And this Melchizedek in, in the biblical record he's without father or mother or genealogy he has neither beginning or beginning of days nor end of life. But then taking note of that last line in chapter 3 he resembles the son of God. Resembling the son of God he continues a priest forever a lot going on in those verses, right? So you got something going on with the names that Hebrews is calling our attention to. So... It's almost as if like he's been talking about Jesus and now he says Melchizedek, but, but here's what you need to know about Melchizedek. Notice his name. He's Melchizedek, so he's the king of righteousness, but also he's the king of peace. Do you know anybody else who might fit a description of king of righteousness and also king of peace? And notice this, he's a king, but he's also a priest. Do you know anybody who would fit a description of priest and king? And notice he also became a Became a priest, not because of ancestry line, but God just appointed him at one point in time, appointed him as a priest. You know anybody that God appointed as a priest, destined him to be a priest. you see the connections of like, you can look at all the, the symbols of the priesthood of Aaron, but now the spotlight is shifting to this one and notice all the connections that are being drawn, even a particular connection there at the end of verse three, that this priest, it's almost as if he's just frozen in time, Melchizedek. Like, there's there's no record in Genesis of where he came from and no record of where he went to, but just kind of frozen in time. He's a priest forever. And the writer of Hebrews is going to grab that image and go, resembles another priest. A priest whose priesthood would never come to an end. There's only one other place other than Hebrews and Genesis where, like, this idea of, Melchizedek even comes up and that's Psalm 110 which Psalm 110 is this psalm of like preparing God's people to celebrate the Messiah. I'm right in the middle of Psalm 110 verse 4 it says the Lord has sworn won't change his mind about Messiah here you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek pointing us to Jesus kind of revisit the question, am I convinced that I need a priest? And if I am, am I convinced that Jesus is the priest that I need? The drumbeat of, oh yeah, Jesus is the exact priest you need. It just gets louder and louder and louder as you go through Hebrews 7. If I can, can I read some of the passages of scripture so that we appreciate how loud it gets, how it says that Jesus is someone so much superior Becomes more evident according to verse 15 when another priest has arisen in the likeness of Melchizedek, who's become a priest not on the basis of the law, the legal requirement concerning like bodily descent, but no, no, this priest is not just the priest because dad and grandpa and great grandpa, no, this priest is a priest because he has the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, like there was a former commandment set aside because of its weakness and use, uselessness, but the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, we have a better hope introduced, Jesus being the one who's, through which we draw near to God. On one hand, it was... It was not without an oath for those who formerly the, the line of Aaron, the tribe of Levi, the those priests, those who formerly became priests, were they were made priests without an oath, but this one was made a priest with the solemn promise of God with an oath. The Lord has sworn won't change his mind. You're a priest forever. You read forever, you read Better Hope, you read Indestructible Life. And it's like this is moving the people of God to go. Do I have someone as a go-between? And the answer is, we do. And is that a permanent arrangement? Look at verse 22. If right now you decide, like, I need a priest, and you call out to him to save you, what you have in Jesus, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant for the former priests, who are many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But all well, this priest, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Look at verse 25. Consequently, he is able to rescue, to save completely to the uttermost. In every way possible, in every way you need it, in every way he designs. He is able to save, to rescue, to bring you all the way to God. Not even 90%. Not most of the time, but save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him since He is just living to make intercession for them. And if you're around church, you might have heard the word intercession, and you might think of that as prayer, and it is, but it's more than that. Intercession is actually that word kind of of the go-between. So he is living to be that go-between and to always be that go-between. Permanently, eternally, it's functioning as the role of being our priest. I love what verse 26 says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have. This is exactly the high priest we need one who is holy and innocent and unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And this priest Jesus has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people. Because listen to what he did. He did this once for all when he, what does it say? He offered up himself the perfect sacrifice because of this, the, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but this is not, there's no weakness involved here. The word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints God the Son, who's been made perfect forever. Complete, perfect, permanent. Again, I, I'm guessing how much you need a priest wasn't the first and foremost thing on our minds as we came in today. But I do want to ask that question again. Are you convinced that Jesus is the priest you need? Is that front and center? Maybe even a few minutes ago, you would say, I don't, I don't know. And now you're going, I'm not... I'm not so sure. Maybe God is changing or has changed her mind on that. What are you, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that gap and the fact that you have a priest who has closed that gap, Jesus Christ? Would you call out to him? It does say for whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Like turning from everything else, calling out on him will be saved. Did you know like you could do that literally right now. That's not to cheapen it. It's just to make sure you're aware of what God has done in Christ so that you would know right now God might have changed your heart, changed your mind, and you realize more than ever before how desperately you need a priest. And right now you could call out to Jesus and say, I recognize that gap and that distance caused by my own sin. I'm trusting I'm relying in you. And you may not have all things figured out. And you say, that just feels like I I don't have it all figured out. And I go, okay, so you're at the starting line. But actually, I would want to say you're you're not, it's not quite the starting line. Because long before you ever had one thought about God, God was moving toward you. In love and in mercy. Offering, offering his son. Jesus voluntarily offering himself as a sacrifice, as our priest. So maybe you go, Curtis, I walked in here here 100% convinced that I need a priest. I do have what the Lord's done in my heart this week. It's just reminded me of the guilt and the shame and the sin that would just be right on these shoulders if it were not for my priest, my priest Jesus Christ. I would just be left carrying them And I would carry them all the way to hell. And I'd live eternity apart from God. But a priest carried my sin, my guilt, my shame, and now has bridged that gap. It gives you a sense, again, of God Almighty, because it's like, what what could I offer God? Do I just think I'm going to go, God, have this. I'll do this for you. And In any way, God find that acceptable. But then I remember, no, I have a high priest. And he's going to take some of even my most pathetic offerings. The intentions of my heart where I say, God, I I want to live my life in a way that please you. We we close, like the last song we sang, may all my life give glory to your name. Like that, that's what I want. And yet that feels like such a, a, a pathetic offering sometimes. Knowing myself well, but then I think God takes this offering. Because of Jesus, my high priest gives me a sharper awareness that one day, we know this, right? One day my heart will stop beating and I will be 100% the mercy of God when that happens. And there where I am 100% at the mercy of God, I have a high priest who's going to guarantee my salvation permanently, eternally. And so what, what fear do I have in that moment? Because I have a permanent go-between. It's just humbling to think through the fact that Jesus, on the night he was going to be betrayed and denied, was thinking not just about how horrific that would be, but was thinking about his own disciples, giving them something that would be put into practice for decades and centuries and millennia. That even in that moment, he is taking like very, very common elements, bread and juice. And he's drawing their attention like a community meal. I mean, just really, really simple things. And he's going, this is going to have different meaning for you from now on. Giving a symbol to picture our spiritual nourishment a symbol that reminds us the high cost, a body broken, blood shed. So that it, I mean, think of our Lord. Here we are in 2022, our Lord knowing we will need that reminder once again of the high priest and the price he paid. And he, so, so he gave us words like, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to do that in celebration. i I. I want to just take a minute, though, just kind of humble our hearts before the Lord, because we are in the presence of Almighty God. We always are, but maybe we're recognizing what it meant for Jesus to be our priest. So this would be a perfect time to talk to your priest. This would be a perfect time to thank Jesus for what he's done. And then in just a moment, we'll take it together. Can I ask you to bow your head? Close your eyes, and let's just take a moment of some personal reflection, and I'll lead us in a prayer. Our Father, the distance between us and you would be enough to make us run the other way, but actually here we are, we're running to you, not away from you. And that is because you are a good, good Father who sent your one one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him wouldn't perish. And Father, because of what your Son did as our priest, Because he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. Because he is the go between, always living to make intercession for us. Because we have communion with you and communion with each other through him. Because the rest of eternity, what we are experiencing now, just by faith, we will experience fully and eternally by sight. Because Jesus has brought you to us, we give thanks. What can we say? What can we do? But thank you, Lord. And we want our lives to be a life filled with worship and praise. So I pray that you would be very, very pleased by your sons and daughters celebrating our great high priest, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen.